Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing and publishing goals. This week we're talking to each other. We're going to talk about what we've learned about writing and podcasting in the last 12 months. Before we get started, a big thank you to our patrons. We couldn't have done this over the last few months without your support. That's right. If you would like to join us for catch-up calls, bonus content, and a little extra surprise next year that we can't tell you about yet, come find us at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. So, as Ellie said today in our intro, today we're reflecting on the last 12 months because it was November last year that we decided to start podcasting and we're recording this the end of November 2021. That is the right year, isn't it? Yep, still 2021 for a few more weeks. (laughs) Good. I'm losing track already. So I thought it would be really good for us and hopefully for you as well to take stock on everything that's happened in the last 12 or so months because the last 12 months have been kind of batshit absolutely insane yes like I don't know how else to explain the last 12 months and you'll soon find out why when we go through these questions so question number one I'll let you start with answering this Ellie did you achieve your 2021 writing or publishing goals I did um the only goals I really had were to finish my dissertation and therefore finish my master's degree, which I did. My graduation ceremony is in a couple of weeks or so. And the other goal I had was to start writing my first book, which I have started and I'm getting through. So I didn't have any publishing goals this year. They are starting from next year, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. But um, I did achieve what I needed to achieve. I've dragged myself through that dissertation, finished the master's degree, and I'm well on track with writing my first book. So I'm very happy with how 2021 has gone for me. Thank you. And Christina, did you achieve your 2021 writing and publishing goals? No, not even close. (laughs) Which sounds like a bad thing, but it's still a good thing. Yeah. One thing we've always said that I've been saying for years is that you should have these goals, but they should be versatile. They should be flexible. They should be adaptable, kind of like they're made of clay or Play-Doh. Play-Doh is probably a better one because clay does set eventually. And at the start of this year, I wanted to publish 10 books. I wanted to finish the Hollywood Gossip series, publish four books in um, Afterlife Calls. I've forgotten the name of my own series then. And also start the Empath series. And like I said, that didn't happen. There were many, many reasons that that didn't happen. And we'll go into that later on in this episode but it definitely reinforced the need to be flexible in those goals and to accept that sometimes life just is not going to go the way you want it to and those moments where shit is going wrong are the moments that will define you and build your skills as a writer it will build your resilience it will build your craft maybe it will build your ability to publish it will build your confidence because you know if you can claw your way out of the depths of despair then you're going to find the days when things are going well, like Christmas every day. Exactly. You've got to have the balance of the good and the bad. You know, that you can't appreciate how good the good is unless you've made it through the bad first, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that what happened this summer definitely made me appreciate the good and changed my perspective on a lot of things. 
in the best possible way. Which leads quite nicely onto the second question we have on our list here today, which is what has been the hardest thing you've had to face this year and what did that teach you? So I alluded to it in some of the earlier episodes of season three. Um, I've mentioned it a few times in the Facebook group. I had a breakdown in the summer. It's hard for me to talk about. I didn't really call it a breakdown until this week, actually. But it was. I couldn't function. I couldn't think straight. I was struggling to write. I was struggling to process things. I just found everyday life like really basic things like having a conversation with my boyfriend really hard. And when you're struggling to talk to someone you've known for 12 years, then something is very fucked up. And I went to the doctors and I'm going to have to wait a really long time for a referral. But that time really, it was triggered by a lot of things that kind of compounded and got on top of me. And, you know, it made me almost quit writing completely. I didn't want to work on my books anymore. I was so pissed off writing fiction. I was, I don't know why I found it so hard, but I didn't love it as much as I used to. And so I had to take a break from it so that I didn't quit altogether. And it's made me be a bit kinder to myself because I think I was putting so much pressure on myself to pay the bills from my books that I lost my enjoyment of it. I think that's what it boils down to. And the thing is, as the country opened up after numerous lockdowns, book sales for a lot of authors, myself included, just completely disappeared. Like a lot of people were making half, a quarter, a tenth of what they were a few months earlier. And that's scary when it is your main source of income. And I have other reasons that I think my income is not as good as it was that I kind of want to assess before I talk about a bit more. But it really made me think that, you know, if I'm going to do this long term, then I need to pull back and focus on other sources of income. And I decided that I was going to focus on my freelancing as a source of income because it is less stress for me. And I actually really enjoy it. And it the bizarre thing happened, which was when I decided I was going to focus on my freelancing career, I had like three new clients contact me in the space of a week. It was so weird. I know we've had multiple conversations about this and I don't think either of us really believes in it, but it felt like you were putting out what you needed to the universe and the universe was delivering, right? I know it sounds cheesy and like I said, neither of us really have those kind of conversations normally, but it was so serendipitous that it just felt like it was meant to be. Yeah, it sounds completely ridiculous to say that it manifested and I don't really believe in manifestation or anything like that I like science you know that but it did it came at the perfect time and I've been really enjoying what I'm working on for clients which is always really nice and it's given me the headspace to be able to keep doing daily writing routines without the pressure of knowing that every word that I write has to pay the bills I can just write what I want because you know the Hollywood gossip series is never going to be able to imitate the success of the what happens in books even though they are in the same universe with the same characters and so I've just kind of had to accept that and you know the fans of Hollywood gossip are very very dedicated fans but there aren't enough of them for it to build a sustainable source of income and I haven't really promoted the afterlife calls series yet because the main the first kind of arc is going to be four books so I want to wait until I'm further on in the series to start promoting it and that's what I'll be doing in the new year and I've got a few strategies I want to try but I didn't want to promote it really hard with only one or two 
books out because it felt like that would have been a waste of money because the money in doing these promos is in the read through and everyone we've interviewed has said the exact same thing and they will continue to because you know that's why perma free works for example because your first book is free and it lures people in further down the line you have to come up with those strategies and you have to be willing to experiment with different things absolutely most people like we say like series most people we've spoken to agree that series are the best way to get it out there and to be making money what about you then what's been the hardest thing you faced this year and what have you learned from it hands down the hardest thing that i had to do was the dissertation i hated the project by the end if i'm entirely honest the project i chose was a good idea but it was very much out of my comfort zone and i wanted to do something out of my comfort zone because it challenged me in in new ways which is good it's what you want you know you're supposed to be challenging yourself when you're doing a degree in creative writing right but by the end of it i just didn't enjoy writing any of it um it felt like hard work none of it felt very natural the voice it was coming out it didn't feel like my voice and so to push myself to finish the project and to not just give up halfway through was difficult but i feel more resilient because of that because i did finish it um it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination but it got me the grade that i needed so not only did i learn to write something very much out of my comfort zone which is valuable although difficult i i learned to stick it through to keep going and to and to not give up even though i hated it because a writing career is not just about writing whatever you feel like writing at the time you've got to treat it like a business so in the long run there are going to be projects where i not enjoying it anymore you know i'm gonna come to either hate the story or hate the character maybe not hate it but certainly get sick of it and i feel better prepared now to continue working through that when it does come up so it's been helpful in that regard definitely there will 100 percent be times when you have to work on alex warrington and you go i want to clean the carpet or walk the cat or stare at paint drying instead of working on your book and I definitely think what you learn during the MA is going to prepare you for needing to fight through that urge to do the most pointless asinine things imaginable when you should be writing. Exactly I feel like it has I feel like even though I've not gotten very far in my writing career yet I feel like I have the tools to continue through. It's hard to express like how many people with their first book don't realize they need these tools as well and how lucky you are to basically be learning as you're writing because most people focus so much on that first book they don't consider the marketing or the resilience or the mindset that they need to actually publish that first book and that's why I think a lot of people lose momentum with their second because they're too they feel like publishing the first one is the goal and they're desperately trying to reach that first goal and then they finish it and it doesn't happen how they thought it would and then they go what next you know absolutely i kind of feel at the moment and this is this doesn't come from a place of conceit or anything like that but i know i'm publishing the first book you know what i'm trying to build the foundations of now is how to keep that going forwards the next book is coming next year whether i like it or not and it you know i've i feel very supported i've got people like you and i've got people like alexa white wolf who previously interviewed who is also very supportive and other friends out there to support me and all our lovely writers who are so supportive in the group anyway i feel like that's a given the first book's a given but this is 
me trying to make that into a career from the start. I can't just publish one book. Alex won't let me, but by which I mean my main character. There's, she already has too much to say. There's not going to be at least just one book. There's a series. So the first books are given. That's coming out next year. The rest I've got to work on and the sustainability of that as a career is what I need to build on. And I think starting to build from that now, which I feel like I'm doing, is going to be quite beneficial in the long run. Oh, definitely. Based on that, then, is there anything in particular you found really surprising about your writing in the last 12 months? The main thing was, I mean, I knew when I was writing the dissertation that I was so sick of that project. I didn't want to write it anymore. And I was never going to finish the novel and publish it because it's just not what I'm interested in. You know, I like doing fantasy. Uh, my first series is urban fantasy. That's what I love. So I knew when I was writing the dissertation, this wasn't going to be a long-term thing. And I was just doing it to get through, to get the project finished, to get the grade kind of thing. But the surprising thing was when I actually, because I put Alex Warrington on hold for that for that period. When I came and sat down and started writing Alex Warrington again, I absolutely love it so much. And I sort of reminded myself or, or realized all over again how much I love writing. Alex Warrington feels like fun, you know? It doesn't feel like too much of a chore. Obviously it is, you know, I'm writing with the long term in mind, but it it's so much easier to write. My voice feels so much stronger um, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. The project, Alex Warrington, so book one, is already twice as long as my dissertation and it's felt like a dream to write so far. So that's been the biggest surprise for me. Amazing. That's so cool. Hopefully. Hopefully that'll keep going. <laughs> what about you? What's been the most surprising thing about your writing this year? So for me, it has been probably writing fantasy. Um... As you know, I hate world building. It's not a question, it's a fact. And when I first started working on The Ghost Call, Alexa really challenged me. She's like, what does this mean? How does this look? How does it feel? What does it sound like? Why are they doing this? What are the consequences? What does it mean further down the line? Are you going to need this creature that you're implying about further down the line? And I'm like, why am I doing all this stuff now? I hate it. And she really, really pushed me. And the book turned out better because of it. And it means that I've got to do less work further down the line. And I'm not trying to fix things retrospectively, like is what I'm basically doing with Hollywood Heartbreak and the whole of the Hollywood Gossip series, really. Because I didn't plan what happens in New York, I had to go back through and reread it um, to find out, essentially to find the gaps that I'd forgotten and to make sure I didn't contradict myself or, you know, create any plot holes or you know miss the fact that Tate changes her hair every time Holly and Faith see her you know and it's little things like that that are really really annoying but that do make a difference so how do you feel now about reading back through those old books since finish since you finished reading what happens in New York again it was very bizarre it was hard to motivate myself to do it um, but once I started, I kind of started enjoying it almost and getting into it. It's like, oh yeah, I can see actually why readers like this bit or they like that bit or they like this character, they can relate to this character, that sort of thing. So it gave me a bit more of an objective view of my own writing. And that was really, really helpful for me because when I was working on it in 2016, 2015, I was very, very close to it. And so I couldn't judge it as technically I didn't know as much about writing and I was very harsh on myself and I can still find things that I would change now 
that I am not going to change because you know thousands of people have read those books and it's unfair on those readers to change big things but it has also taught me how much I've grown as a writer and that I wasn't as bad as I thought I was five years ago that's good to know I imagine I don't know it's good because you can see I imagine you can see where you've improved you can see that you have grown as a writer but also reaffirming to know that it's not as bad as you imagined in your head right yeah exactly and I feel more comfortable with it now and also more comfortable marketing it, which sounds stupid because I always had to market it because it's the first book in a series. But I just feel more able to now. And also because it's fresher in my mind, I can talk about it a bit more freshly. Like I want to start doing some videos for my readers group, for example, talking about stuff I've discovered on my travels, if you will, my research travels, like about, you know, Marilyn Monroe, who was the inspiration for some of the characters, about Hollywood's golden era, about the 27 Club, about mummies, which isn't technically related to celebrities, but obviously I'm writing about mummies as well. So all these things that have inspired the books that I don't necessarily have anywhere to put, but that make for quite good content marketing. This is one of the big things I would like our listeners to take away because so many writers say to me, I don't know what to talk about in my marketing. You don't have to talk about you. In fact, it's better if you don't talk about you. Talk about your books. Talk about stuff that happened behind the scenes what have you had to read what have you had to research what have you learned about the craft about the background about you know your characterization psychology um suspense plotting location history there's so much stuff there that you can share that your readers will be interested in because they're interested in your books that cover those things and you may not have had somewhere within your book to include that information like I had nowhere to put about the fact that the Victorians used to eat mummies but you know that's an interesting and slightly very weird fact that they were utterly convinced that eating mummies would have medicinal benefits more people need to know about this I think it's absolutely amazing fact (laughs) I will be doing a video on it I've got a blog post on um, my author blog about weird mummy facts but I've found even more. So that will definitely be an upcoming video. And I think I might do one about the crossover between the Victorians and mummies. And then also one about weird Victorian beauty trends, because you know me and talking about skincare. True. So we're going to have just weird facts, part one, two, three, four, five, six, unlimited. A thousand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. um, (laughs) I love that. That's a great idea. Next question then. I think this will be a really interesting one for you. (laughs) How has your writing process changed since the start of 2021? Okay, the biggest thing I want to talk about is outlining. So (laughs) in a previous episode, you mentioned that you started outlining and you found it very useful. So I thought, hey, all the cool kids are outlining. I'm going to give that a try. So instead of just roughly planning what I was going to do, which is what I did for the dissertation project and what I was trying to do for, for book one, I went through and planned out all the plot points on sticky notes with Christina helping me. And then I actually sat down and it took about two or three hours. I wrote out just bullet points of everything that happens. So I used the uh, plot points we'd made on the sticky notes as a starter, but filled in everything that happens between them as well. So every single thing that happens in the novel is bullet pointed in an outline. It ended up being five pages of bullet points and honestly now when i sit down to write it is so much easier i don't have to sit down and think what am i doing today okay what actually needs to happen in that scene or how do they do x y and z or any any of that there's there's no 
thinking involved really as weird as that sounds i just sit down i know what's coming next i know how the characters are going to behave because they feel very three-dimensional to me and i just write it you know it takes off all the thinking it takes off all the pressure of having to sit down and work it out before you even start typing so it means i'm spending a lot more of my writing time actually writing and therefore going through it it's coming out a lot faster. I've written more words this week, because I only did the outline last week, really. I've written more words this week than I've written probably any other week, to be honest with you. So <laughs> that's it's made a huge difference. That's the biggest change and definitely something I highly recommend people try. That's so amazing. So how many words have you written this week then? Uh, over 4,000. And how many do you normally write in a week? I don't want to tell you because it's a lot less. <laughs> I kind of go through phases so there'll be a few days where I do a couple thousand words but then I'm not that interested and it's not that I'm not interested I just get busy doing other things but now that it's so much easier to just sit down and write if I schedule in writing time writing gets done and it's so much easier to just knock out a thousand words I think it, it might be yeah. five thousand actually somewhere four or five thousand this week but it just feels so much more efficient like one of the things you said to me was the the sort of creativity, the creative side of it is in planning what's going to happen and writing out the outline. Obviously, the way you write and your voice and everything else still comes into it when you sit down to write. It's just so much easier to sit down and write now. So it doesn't feel like as much of a chore. Even though I love the writing and even though before I'd done the outline and everything, I was still enjoying writing it so much more than I was the gestation. This feels so much more exciting to write and to just sit down and knock out a thousand words is easy peasy yeah and i think one of the things i've noticed that helps motivate me is to have as many things in place before i sit down to do something as possible like say if i plan to exercise in the morning i find it really helpful if i get my clothes out beforehand if i know what type of exercise i'm gonna do if i've chosen the video that i'm gonna follow if i know exactly what time exactly what length all these things because then there are fewer mental barriers to doing the thing and that's basically what outlining is is it removes the mental barriers you're not going i'm not going to write today because i don't know what the fuck i'm going to write you're going i already know what i'm going to write so i can just go exactly even if i wasn't actually thinking to myself oh i don't know what to write i don't want to do it subconsciously my brain's going oh i've got to think about what i've got to do before i even do it and yeah. so it makes the task so much harder but like you say removing as many barriers as possible you've just got to turn up and that's that's not always the easiest part but if all you've got to do is turn up it makes any job much easier right it does and i think people underestimate that actually coming up with a good plot is about problem solving that's basically what it is and if you're doing the problem solving on its own without worrying about the words on the page or how much description you're doing or the dialogue or any of these things that you consciously or subconsciously have to do, then it makes it just so much easier and so much faster because those two or three hours you spent outlining, probably more if you include what we did downstairs on yeah, my yeah, um, that's true. table, that I can't tell you how many editing hours that is going to save you because it really will. And I know Alexa and I had a really good conversation with you about it. And we were talking about how it's actually dev edits that take the longest, not the first draft. And the main reason most people's first books take the longest to dev edit is because they don't have what you have. They don't have that outline because they insist that they're doing it purely for creative reasons. And they think that the writing is the creative part and it isn't it is crafting that narrative and you do not have to do that at the same time as putting words on the page no and in actual fact 
it's kind of using two different sides of your brain or two yeah. different parts of your brain. So it's a lot more beneficial to not do it at the same time as writing because it's a different skill. It's a different part of your brain to engage. Separating it makes it easier to do both. Yeah, exactly. You've summed that up really well. Occasionally good things come out my brain. <laughs> Based on all of that then, what are you going to change going forwards about your writing? I would say it's more that I want to keep doing what I'm currently doing. I've made a lot of changes in 2021 and I think that's a good foundation for continuing along with that kind of level of productivity in 2022 and just being open to adapting my, my process. I love learning and I love getting better at writing and the only way to do that is to try things that might work for you right and to try new things so I think I've got a good foundation with what I've got at the moment I love my outline and I would definitely be doing that for every single book but there's going to be more things I learn along the way that will help me improve more you know all the time that's what being a good writer is about right is constantly learning and constantly getting better at your craft so continue with what I've got and then be open to always improving. I don't know if you remember in Daniel Wilcox's episode, he actually said that the, all of the learnings come from finishing your book. Oh. I said some of them, he said all of them. So I think when you finish, Alex, later in the year, you will look back and your head will kind of explode, but then you will have all of these amazing things that you've put in place that you can keep doing going forward and build on. I feel like I'm in a good position. I feel like I've got a good foundation and I can't wait to keep building on that. That's the thing. A writer's uh, education is never finished. <laughs> in terms of your writing process then, how has that changed in the last year? What I used to do was I would just write in drips and drabs and as long as I wrote during the day, that was what mattered. And after talking to Sasha Black about morning writing routines, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go because it's kind of a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And I found that actually writing was a lot easier when I did it in the morning because I wasn't kind of switched on or awake enough to overanalyze things or to be thinking about a dozen other things while I'm trying to write. I'm literally in the moment with my characters. And so that made those first drafts in particular a lot easier but the other thing I've realized is once I have finished a first draft I actually do need a break to come down emotionally particularly with some of the books I've written this year and I think that's part of why my publishing process has slowed down is they are very emotional and I want that emotional depth right but that's emotionally draining for me so I need then to kind of come down from it and recalibrate and remind myself that it's just fiction because if it's emotional to watch or to read it's so much worse when you are writing it it's so draining to write those emotional scenes i know from what you've told me but also from experience that that, that last book has been particularly difficult for you but i think it's worth it if it's give if it's causing you to have that emotional reaction it's definitely going to cause the reader to have it right i really hope so yeah <laughs> the other thing is the same as you is outlining because um, I used to do bullet pointed plans, having learned from the mess that was what happens in New York's planning process. I would bullet point what was going to happen. But after talking to so many people and finding Hollywood heartbreak and the overlap between that and what happens in books really hard, I decided I would outline. And I outline, I've outlined three things so far, which is the fourth Afterlife Calls book, which I'm editing at the moment, uh, Hollywood Romance, which is the last Hollywood gossip book, and also the reader magnet for Afterlife Calls. And I could write so much faster having that outline because like you said I didn't need to think about it 
all the problem solving was done. I just had to show up. And I realized when he started editing The Witch's Sacrifice that I had kind of still made the same mistake as before, which was that I hadn't thought about the subplot enough. I'd got all the main plot. That was great. But I hadn't weaved in the subplot because I tend to forget subplots for reasons we've talked about in previous episodes about them being kind of like the side quests in games. They annoy me and distract from the main story. But that's another thing you've learned this year, right, is that you're you're forgetting those subplots at the start and adding them in later. And something that I know you said you're going to try and not do as much, you're going to try and weave them in from the start. So again, still learning and still expanding your, your craft, right? It, it, yeah, and it gets more interesting because I bullet pointed that subplot using a similar structure to what I'd done for previous books prior to like July this year. And because I had only got a rough bullet point for those things, I found it a lot harder to write because I hadn't figured out certain things like how the characters react to each other, what their emotions are, um, exactly how things happen i just put this happens this happens this happens with a little bit of oh they do this because of this and a little bit of the how but not enough and because of that that subplot was just a lot harder to put together than the rest of the book had been that's an important feature of the outline actually is not just putting down what happens it's specifying exactly how everything happens so that you don't have to spend any thought time on it when you come to write it it's not just alex and ryan go for dinner it's alex and ryan go for dinner here this happens ryan feels this way alex feels this way they talk about this that makes ryan feel this way they end the conversation on an awkward note and then alex leaves kind of thing as much detail as possible and i actually quite enjoyed adding in as much detail as possible based on your advice to do so obviously but then it was fun to write the outline didn't feel like that much of a chore to do it didn't feel like i was you know doing boring old homework or something it felt like i was being creative and having fun with it and exploring things in a creative way it is definitely a lot more creative than i imagined it is and for me like the thought of doing the outline was really hard but once i got over that thought i think i'm actually starting to enjoy that more than some of the other areas i hate to say more than writing but because that is the most creative part i definitely find it one of the most enjoyable parts and so i do have a lot of books with like those kind of bullet pointed plans and i think particularly for something like empath which will be a bit of a mindfuck to write and edit because i have got a first draft of it that i haven't looked at in almost a year having an outline like that would definitely really help and i'm kind of contemplating retrospectively outlining empath which is what Christina Stanley does. I think I want to go back through and see what I've got first, but I, but that's not priority. My priority is the first five Afterlife Calls series, finishing Hollywood Gossip and starting an Australian book that we won't go into. I'm excited. It's Australian. <laughs> it's Australia and Christina, it's a bit of, what's the word for it? Aussie file? I don't know. I don't know what the Aussie version is, actually. <laughs> this book I came up for the idea for almost 15 years ago. It's an older idea than what happens in books, and it has kind of mutated a lot in that time. No way. That's crazy. That's really cool. Though. Yeah. So I'm really excited. But again, that's a bullet pointed plan. It doesn't have, no, it doesn't even have, it sort of has a bullet pointed plan, but it has an old one from when the idea was something else. So I need to fix that and outline it. And then I've also got a bullet pointed plan for book two. And that's what made me need to rewrite book one. I just Googled it. It's a Australophile. Yeah, that's me. So 
In which case then, are you going to change anything about your writing process going forwards? I'm still working on my outlining process. That's going to be the real thing for me. And I know I need to push including the subplots in those outlines. So that's something I'm very mindful of with Afterlife Goals Book 5, which doesn't have a title yet because I can't call it what I want to. So when I transfer those post-it notes into an outline, that's when I'm going to think about weaving the subplot in. I've got a few subplot ideas, but I'm not sure which one I'm going to go for yet. So I might like jot down the subplots and kind of outline those as well and see which fits because where the subplots fit will obviously affect the direction the series goes in and when other key details happen. So it's a bit of juggling and I think I just need to word vomit some things onto the page and see where it goes. But I don't want to do that until I'm further down the line on books three and four because the first kind of cluster or arc, if you will, is essentially the first four books. And book five carries on directly from it timeline-wise, but will also work as a sort of standalone cosy mystery with ghosts in. Which brings us nicely on to our second subject of the day, which is about podcasting. Christina and I had never done podcasting before. We were both new to it. Christina has a little more experience in these kind of areas, but it was a huge, huge learning curve for both of us and a very fun learning curve. We wanted to discuss a bit more around that subject. So first and foremost then, Christina, what surprised you the most about podcasting? What surprised me was how long it takes to put an episode together because I was so excited about the content creation and the recording and sharing stuff. I really didn't think about how long editing an episode actually takes because it can take anything from two to six hours to edit an episode. And if you don't have a computer with enough kind of oomph to do it then you're in trouble absolutely i was thinking the same thing for this question i mean the first thing that popped into my mind was the editing and i'm very grateful for you to you for doing all of the editing i can't take any credit for that but there's there's so much work involved obviously a lot of podcasts and i can't remember the exact stat but most podcasts don't make it past the first few episodes and so we put a lot of effort in christina's holding up eight fingers. So most podcasts don't make it past the first eight episodes. We're on episode... Hold up my fingers, Christina. <laughs> I can't remember. between 40 and 50. I thought it was uh, less than 40. So we've, we're now, we've made it past 40 episodes and it continues to grow. We continue to get more listeners and we continue to get people subscribing to YouTube and downloading the episodes. We continue to have people subscribe to our Patreon even. And so... It feels like it's still growing, which is amazing. So yeah, I guess I would say then the thing that surprised me most was how many people out there were interested in what we have to say and that still turn up every week to listen. I mean, I think the content's valuable, but it's nice to see that everyone else still feels that. And I guess in a way, we kind of get to be a part of their writing lives, which is nice. That's probably what I enjoy the most is connecting with people like in the Facebook group and stuff and hearing from people and getting to be just a small part of their writing. You know, even if it's just them telling us what they do on the accountability threads on the Facebook group, for instance, we get to hear about what they're up to and celebrate their wins as well and also be there to support them when things aren't going quite as good and I'm, I'm i'm really getting a lot out of being there for people and connecting with people and other writers and that's probably what i enjoy the most about the podcast as well what about yourself what do you enjoy most about the podcast christina 
I like content creation. I think that's kind of my thing. I just enjoy sitting down and recording the episodes. Like if I'm having a really bad day, then it kind of lifts me up. I am a content creator at heart and I love, well, I don't love the sound of my own voice. I just like talking. I hate the sound of my own voice, but talking is something I enjoy quite a lot. So having that opportunity, I find really fun and also then when we get nice messages from people saying like oh this really helped me with x y and z we had a comment on youtube the other day i've been posting like the quick tips like little snippets from people's episodes on youtube and someone replied to one of christine gritman's tips about how it's okay to not be perfect in content and it led to someone starting their own content creation journey from that two minute clip of christine oh wow that's amazing i love that i know right Yeah. So I think that's really powerful. And it's important to remember most of the people who listen to the podcast aren't going to engage. And we can beg people like, please comment, please leave reviews, please leave ratings, please join us in the Facebook group, please become a Patreon because, you know, you do need that support as a content creator. And it's probably only about 2% of listeners. That's a random number, but it is like it's less than 10% of people who are going to actively engage with us and tell us that what we're doing is valuable. So having little comments like that and knowing you've made a difference goes a long way. What would you say is the hardest part of podcasting then? Because that is a difficult aspect of it. Do you have something else that you would say is the hardest part of podcasting? There are two things for me. One is the editing of it, because sometimes I get really pissed off with it. Like when my laptop gave up and decided it didn't want to let me edit videos anymore and kept crashing every time I opened iMovie. That was a stressful time. Or like today when we're recording this episode and it just died halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> Too soon. We won't go any further into that. We'll just say <laughs> yes. Um, technology. And um, the other thing for me is the marketing. Like I said, I'm a content creator. And that is what I enjoy. That is my specialty. But to get the most out of your content, to get the biggest audience, to help the most people, you need some market. And we need to do more of that going forwards. That's why I've been posting the short clips on YouTube and sometimes on Facebook, but they don't do as well on Facebook. So I've been focusing more on YouTube. It is really hard to do those things. And, you know, taking those clips is really challenging. And I've got to go back through old episodes to get those clips. You know, some of the earlier interviews I edited on a different software, so it's a lot harder for me to find those things. And so I'm over the Christmas break, I'm going to be going through old episodes with Sasha, with Tim, with Nick, and trying to get some really good quotables because I know those episodes are really powerful, but they are also quite long. And I know that can be quite intimidating for people to listen to. Like for me, my attention span is like shorter than Millie's. So if I see a video that's longer than 20 minutes, my brain is like, even though I could easily sit and watch three 20 minute videos, you know? So the more quick tips we can share, the more people we can help. And, you know, you can also track the growth of the channel by those quick tips going onto the channel. So it's definitely something I want to keep doing and posting them on the days we don't have a new episode out. And those quick tips are only going to be up on the YouTube channel. They're not going to be anywhere else, but it is a time sink. I think that overall, like it all boils down to the fact that doing the podcast does take time and it takes a lot more time than I thought it would you know, people can listen to a 20 minute episode and it's 20 minutes of their time, but that's probably two to three hours of a content creator's time to plan, to record, to edit, and then probably another two to three hours of marketing on top of that, just for that one episode. 
And when you're absorbing that content, it's really easy to forget just how much work goes into that thing to help you with your journey. It is. I mean, even when I listen back to the episodes and do the show notes and things, it's easy for me to forget how long it's taking you just to get it from the raw interview to the point where it's ready for other people to listen to. So yeah, it's there's a lot more that goes into that than people realize, definitely. Yeah, and the other thing is, it's really hard to edit some things out. Things you don't notice, like if someone is using um, earphones like what I'm wearing, where they're wired and plugged into the computer, and then they're using the microphone on that and their hair is down, the sound of their hair rubbing against the microphone will create an echo that's impossible to rub out. And these are things that you don't always think about if you're not in the industry, essentially. And when you point it out to people like, yeah, if you're using um, headphone mics, can you make sure to like, not headphone mics, um, earpod mics, can you make sure to like tie your hair up or use an external mic or something? And you sound like a real bitch by saying that. Even if, or I do anyway, even if you spin it as it's to make you sound as great as possible. And it's just stuff I never would have thought of. Yeah, there's definitely a lot, um, a lot of little bits and pieces that we've learned along the way. <laughs> I think the hardest part for me was learning that uh, if I'm just honest and talk about, you know, things aren't going perfectly, I did shit this week, that's still valuable. You know, being out there and being vulnerable and exposing that kind of side of all of this is a lot more relatable for the audience. You know, people don't want to hear that you're perfect at everything because frankly, nobody is. And sharing the stuff that I'm bad at, you know, sharing my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities, etc., can help someone else relate, can help someone else get through that as well. And so I know that's not particularly writing related or specifically podcast related, but that's, you know, trusting that I do have something useful to say and sharing things with our listeners that maybe aren't perfect or definitely aren't perfect <laughs> is, is valuable and people want to hear that. I think that's one of the uh, hardest parts because I, I don't talk about myself that much, really, especially not to strangers. I'll talk to anyone, but I don't really tell them much about myself. So learning to open up for, well, the camera and the mic <laughs> and then obviously in turn for our audience has, has probably been the hardest part for me, actually. And I think it is actually harder to do that than to open up to a person because you don't know what that response is yeah i mean you don't know who's listening you don't know if anyone's listening it could be just you talking into the void it is easier to have a conversation with a person who you can gauge their reaction and you can have a back and forth as an interaction in fact we did a couple of episodes where we didn't have the camera on i don't know if you remember a while ago and that wasn't as good we weren't even just engaging with each other was better um and being able to share our experiences with other people is really valuable. The next question we have is what has podcasting taught you about yourself? If I say this, it's going to sound really weird. Say it. We love weird. We are weird. That's what we do. That's true. Um, it's taught me that I have exceptionally high standards, but to accept those and see them as a strength and to work with them to kind of balance those standards around perfectionism. Because like I said, I have high standards, I am picky, and I like things a certain way. That makes me sound like a control freak, because I am. <laughs> you are and you aren't. Like, you do have high standards, but it, the standards you have for the podcast have just made the podcast better. They've never been unreasonable. They've just been a high standard, and I think that's that's been beneficial for the podcast, definitely. Thank you. And I do want to say that the reason I feel more comfortable with having those standards 
is because of you because I've worked with other creators in the past and they've been like oh this will do do I really have to use an external mic do I really have to do this do I really have to do that oh does it matter if my slides are messy I'm like yes it is a reflection on you it's a reflection on your brand if you are half-assing this your audience is going to half-ass it and not care as much because there is a difference between figuring it out as you go along and trying your hardest and growing at the same time and I think trying your hardest and growing at the same time is often confused with perfectionism. I was a perfectionist for a long time. When I used to run an online forum, I would obsess over a pixel being in the wrong place. That's perfectionism because literally most of my members didn't even have the screen resolution to see those pixels. But saying that you need an external microphone or that we need better editing software or that we need to try something different, that's not perfectionism that is trying to make ourselves as good as or better than our competitors so that we can stand out and help more writers and that requires a process of iteration and accepting that done is better than perfect but remembering that every episode you learn something and you can add something to it like do you remember at the very beginning, I kept picking up on the little, I can't remember what the word is, but the little things we could say, like when we're going, um, um, uh, yeah, but you know, so all those little filler words that we would say, and I felt like a bitch picking them out, but we are now better speakers because I have picked up on those things. We are. I'm certainly not perfect. I do occasionally, um, but a lot less and I'm aware of it and I think like you say the podcast is better for it we sound more professional it's easier to listen to someone speak when they're not constantly going um 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 so more people are more likely to continue listening to the end you know what I mean it's only improved the podcast you know I think it's been invaluable thank you I'm curious to know like how do you feel about how you've grown as a podcaster and a speaker in the last 12 months because when we started, you'd never really done video except for a couple of lives we did together. And you're, um, you'd only done like two lots of public speaking or something. Yeah, I'd only done it a couple of times. So I think at first I was trying to like put on a front and speak properly and be like super hyper professional. And it wasn't me, it wasn't authentic. And over the last year, I've certainly become a better speaker, a more natural speaker. I've gone from absolutely needing those full scripts to do an episode to like the ones I recorded for the re- revisiting episodes, which listeners will get very soon. I, I just bullet pointed what I needed to say and I felt confident enough to just start recording and say it. And it's a lot more natural. I can still be professional and I can still know what I'm talking about without having to script every single thing. And this is more authentic. This is a more authentic me, which people are going to be able to relate to better. People are also going to probably like more because I'm not pretending I'm something I'm not. And in the end, leaning into who I am as part of my brand is better for me in the long run too. And it's better for the podcast as well, I think. Oh, definitely. And it is, you know, really hard to share those authentic parts of yourself but it comes with practice and again I think it puts you in a really strong position for your first book because you've already got a lot of the skills that some authors who are two three four ten fifteen whatever books down the line don't have and don't see 
the value in. Hopefully. I feel like I'm in a strong position to start writing books and I'm confident that I can do it. But yeah, I think we've both gotten better at speaking for the podcast. We've gotten better at at working together as well. I think we had quite good chemistry at the start, which is why we thought this would be a good idea, right? Mm -hmm. But following on from that, I think that's only gotten better. Like I said, we scripted those early episodes, didn't we? And that was good. That was what we needed at the time. But the ones we do now where it's more off the cuff and just bullet points and stuff, I think is better for us in the long run. Oh, definitely. It feels more like a conversation. And I still like bullet pointing things a lot of the time so that I don't forget stuff. Which is why I like sending questions over to interviewees in advance so that they've got a rough idea of what we want to talk about. And then not just put on the spot because I know some people don't deal well on the spot. And I know some interviewees don't read those questions in advance, but some do. And I want to be able to give them that option to do things in a way that they are most comfortable with. Because I have definitely found that the podcasts where I don't know the questions in advance, I find it a lot harder to think. And I'm starting to realize that maybe that's a fibro thing. Maybe it is an ADHD thing. I'm not sure. But I'm still more confident speaking off the cuff now than I was when I was younger because the first time I had to speak in public off the cuff, I didn't know I was going to be speaking. I was about 12, 13. I started stuttering in front of about 300 people. Oh, bless you. That's not fun. No. And that could have, you know, ruined me forever and stopped me from enjoying public speaking. And it didn't. Instead, I focused on reading other people's work. I was that kid who read a lot in school assembly. And I used to get like, I could feel the adrenaline coursing through me every time I would get ready to read or perform or whatever I did. And I thought it was this kind of weird thing where I was anxious about going and I was kind of excited to go as well. And of course, physiologically, those things feel the same. You get the same increased heart rate. You get the same kind of energy buzzing through you. And I thought, well, I really want to do this. So why don't I just channel this energy into being the best performer that I can be rather than into feeling anxious and scared and clamming up? And so I've been doing that for about 15 years now. And I find it really, really helpful to channel that energy. But to be honest, I don't feel that anxious about doing it anymore. Um, I might now if I started performing in person again, because I haven't done that for, I don't know, probably about three years now. And so, you know, I probably am a bit rusty and it is very different recording a podcast to doing a live to performing on stage. But I enjoy all of them and get different things out of all of them and so the lessons that I've learned in terms of being a speaker and being more confident I can repurpose even though they are very different and require slightly different attitudes and mindsets and skill sets. So based on that then and everything else that we've discussed today what are the biggest takeaways that you've had from the interviews that we've done? Mornings can be your friend if you're doing something you enjoy. Outlining is also your friend and I've always said that plotting and planning is the most creative process, but it never occurred to me that outlining could be even more creative. And also that it streamlines writing and makes it a lot easier and makes it easier to process and think clearly. And that is something that I'm a big fan of. I really do like being able to think clearly and it doesn't always happen because my mind is just jumping around about 12 million different things at the same time. So if I can do something that helps me to think more clearly, definitely going to do it. 
The other thing is email marketing, email marketing, email marketing, email marketing, which um, multiple people we've spoken to have spoken about the importance of. And the most important one, and it's something that I want our listeners to remember as well, is that it is okay to not be perfect. What is important is that you are trying and that you are being yourself and you are working hard to build a business doing what you love because you're never going to get it all right. But if you're not even trying, you're never going to know what you could achieve either. That's such good advice. There's no benefit to anyone to you striving for perfection because no one wants perfection. No one's looking for perfection. Uh, if you're a writer, they're just looking for a good story most of the time. As long as it's not really badly written, you know, nobody's looking for absolute perfection because it doesn't exist. Too many people want too many different things. So, Yeah, you can't please everyone, but if you lean into who you are, then you're going to find people who like you just the same as you find friends who like you when you are more comfortable in yourself. Exactly. Exactly. For the interviewees then, the I wrote down a couple of things. One was outlining, as we've already said, because I think most people that where it was relevant mentioned outlining and how important it is and how you know useful it is for them. The second thing is it's a lot of hard fucking work. You know, people don't become successful writers by writing one book and not doing anything with it. You've got to get out there. You've got to push, you know, who you are and your book and put the work in. And it is a lot of work. <laughs> But then the third thing I wrote down here was about, you've got to treat it as a business. If you want to be successful, you can't just write and expect people to buy your books. You've got to be out there marketing yourself, you know, pushing, not necessarily pushing, pushing your books, because you can't just push them anywhere. But you've got to do your research and push them in the right places and work the market and any other number of things in, there's probably at least 10 things in every episode that we've done that you can, you need to be doing to, to push and get, get yourself ahead and get yourself out there. So if you treat it like a business and not just a creative endeavor, you're going to find that much more easier. You're going to find that concept more easier, easy, more easy. And in the long run, you're going to become more successful because you're thinking of it in a business mindset. And I do actually think that people with our creative writing background find that harder because we are trained on the creative aspect of it, not on the business aspect of it. If you look at the people who do really well, people like Nicholas Eric, for example, they come from a business background first, and then they were either kind of creative anyway, but just dabbled in it, or they got into it later in life. And when they have that analytical slash business background, they're not constantly going, oh, I really don't want to write it like this, even though it's kind of the genre expectation or the trope, or you're going to piss someone off if you do it that way. And they are much more in tune with what the market wants. And if you don't hit what the market wants, your book will not sell. You can't just write whatever you want and not follow certain expectations because no matter what genre you're writing, there will be expectations from readers. You've got to know the rules before you can break the rules. We've said that a few times, right? Yeah, you have. You really have. And I'll be honest, I got lucky with what happens in New York because I didn't know the rules. I didn't know the tropes. I didn't know how to plot. I was just writing the book I wanted to write. And you know, I did hit a lot of the tropes because it was what I was reading at the time anyway. So it kind of subconsciously came out. But then when I went to Hollywood Gossip, I kind of experimented a bit more and pushed the boundaries a bit more. And that's why the friends of Hollywood Gossip are so hardcore, but also why the people who don't like it don't like it. 
because it doesn't hit those notes as much and because it is quite emotional and it deals with much heavier topics than what happens in books. So you either love that style or you don't, but it's kind of more of a niche book, I would say, than the What Happens In series. And so it just hasn't found its audience as much. And that's something that I'll probably reflect on more when the series is finished. And I've got some experiments I want to make with the series. But for now, I'm going to take it as a learning and focus on the Afterlife Call series and on my Aussie romance, which is at least going to be a duology. Excellent. So we've learned a lot this year. We've got a lot more to build on. How exciting. And I think there are probably other things we've learned that we haven't talked about, but I feel like that's a nice note to end on. It is. We've come full circle. We have. This year has been completely insane and we just really want to say a big thank you for listening to the show leaving a rating or review and sharing it with your friends little gestures like that go a really long way to supporting the show and also having us keep going because if we don't get the engagement then and we don't help with the writers what's the point in us doing this you know Exactly. And we have some lovely patrons who also support us on Patreon and that keeps us going too. 